Get ready to step into scripture with Tina. Hey everyone, my name is Tina Wilson. I'm a pastor's wife and a mom of seven. And alongside my husband, Matt, I've committed my life to King Jesus as a church planter, a Bible teacher, an author, and an advocate for all-in family ministry. I am super passionate about making Christ and his church famous, and I want to welcome you to Step Into Scripture with Tina. So this is a podcast designed to point people toward King Jesus, and we are starting down that path by establishing ourselves on the firm foundation of the Word of God and encouraging you, the listener, the viewer, to commit yourself to reading the entire Word of God start to finish. And so I've asked my friend Stacy Vines to join me on this journey because she has been like my number one Bible reading partner in my adult life. And I'm so thankful for that. So Stacy, if you would just introduce yourself again and tell us about where we're headed in this episode today. Absolutely. So as she said, I'm Stacy Vines. We have been Bible besties for many years now. Um, I am a mom of four, a Bible teacher. I love sharing the goodness of God that I find um, about him all in scripture with everyone around me and starting with my kids and in my family and here in our local congregation that uh, we serve together. Um, this week in our objections, right? So as Tina said, we're answering an objection every week. Um, and we say this every episode, we've polled um, a group within our congregation of about 800 individuals, and we've gone through and kind of categorized all of these objections. And this week in this episode, we're going to unpack and dismantle the objection that I can't read the whole Bible from start to finish because it just feels monotonous. Yeah. It's overwhelming. It's too big. Or maybe it's even too boring right. for me. So we're going to unpack that uh, objection this week in this episode. We're going to do so by stepping into Scripture, as Tina does so well with us, her resource for that. And then today we're going to answer what? Wait, 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 wait. mark it. <laughs> so this week we're going to answer that objection, that it just feels monotonous. Maybe you're reading Scripture and you're questioning, why am I reading this? What is the point? I don't understand it. It's a little boring. Um, and so we're going to unpack that with scripture to answer and dismantle that specific objection. So Stacy, in, in your personal Bible reading, has there ever been a particular place you came to where you went, what am I even reading? Oh. What, what is the point? <laughs> am I just reading this to say I got it done? Absolutely. The very, yes. And every time we do a read through, you so well point out, we, we meet the same brick road or brick wall um, in Leviticus yeah. and uh, repeatedly over and over the fatty lobe of the liver. And, <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, the first time I read the book of Leviticus, I actually wasn't doing a read through at that particular time, but I remember clearly thinking this has nothing to do with me. I could just not read this and be fine. Like it doesn't apply to me at all. But it wasn't until I read the whole thing that now I look at Leviticus and almost weep over the length and the, the specificity that God would choose to give in order to be close to his creation. Yes. So I went from feeling like this is boring, unapplicable. I do not need this at all. I'm not under the law. I'm under grace to really falling in love with that entire book. Yeah, that's awesome. 
I'll tell you, even even if you have, like Stacy, learned the significance of Leviticus and kind of moved beyond that initial brick wall, yeah. we always say when we come to Leviticus, because our church reads mm-hmm. the entire Bible year after year, it's just a spiritual discipline we really uphold. Uh, we always say when we get to Leviticus, this is not where your reading plan goes to die. You just got started. Repeat after yeah. me. Say it with us. Right. Declare it all together. Mm-hmm. Sign your name to it. I'm going to keep reading. But I'll tell you this. Even after I had come to understand the significance of the book of Leviticus and not stop that. Right. Another wall that I found myself hitting in years past in Bible study was when you get into some of the Old Testament prophets and Mm -hmm. their prophetic words move outside of Israel because we know that they are speaking to Israel Mm -hmm. because there's great significance in that nation. The Messiah is going to come through that nation. But when they would start speaking to the surrounding nations about their coming destruction and who was going to be conquered and what judgment was going to be delivered to them, I found myself going, but why do I need to know about right. all of these surrounding nations? Yeah. And I'll tell you what I have been able to recognize about just the purpose, even in that, just through reading the whole Bible, that through the Old Testament, as you're seeing this rise and fall of nations, sure. what is happening is that God is gathering all of these nations under essentially one leadership, one empire. He's creating his audience He's, for the climax. That's right. Because King Jesus is going to come on the scene and he is going right. to knock all of those kingdoms of the world down in one fell swoop. Daniel uh, perceived it when he interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream in Daniel chapter 2 as as a statue representing the empires of the world that was smashed by a rock that was cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands. And then that rock grew to be a mountain itself that filled the entire earth. And when I recognized that, all of a sudden I went, oh, there's great significance right. for me personally mm-hmm. about what happened, not just to the nation of Israel, but to all the surrounding nations, because God is grafting them all into his plan mm-hmm. because he wants all of them to come under the reign of King Jesus and his leadership and his kingdom. So that's, that was just another brick wall well, that I Well, I think hit. that's a great example, specifically King Nebuchadnezzar's dream, because in this objection, it's just, it's too monotonous for me. I, I feel like I'm just reading just to check a box. It's, it's kind of boring um, because we, for some reason, equate, because the biblical text is historical data, mm-hmm. we equate it with our history classes that we're used to in school or yeah. as if we're going to be uh, listening to a professor who's well-aged and monotoned, but scripture is totally different. We talked about that in the very last episode last week. We talked about the theatrics of it all. Yes, yes. And as readers, as learners of scripture, um, we don't, we, we, we position ourselves as students, but in the wrong mind frame to where it's going to be boring. Right. Um, and that, that it, then it is, you're just reading to check a box, but I also challenge the objection. So what, if you're reading just to check the box, let God do what he's going to do. Um, many times in life, I've read something, didn't really feel like I got much from it, but I read it anyway. And then a year later or months later, 
that will come to my mind and I'll think, wow, I'm so glad that I read that. Yeah. Um, so it can be useful even if you're just checking the box. Absolutely. Not to underscore the, uh, you know, the importance of it, but it's not a legitimate objection. Not a legitimate objection. So we want to take all of these objections that we address and we want to dispel them using the word of That's God. Right. So today to do that, to dispel this objection of it just feels monotonous. I'm just reading to get it done. We want to look at some of the spaces where we think most people, especially maybe if you're reading it for the first time, are going to hit those brick walls of monotony and be tempted to just quit now. Mm -hmm. And we want to show you why they are, in fact, significant, why it's not monotonous, why it's not details that really don't apply to you. Sure. So I think probably one of the first walls that people hit if they commit to reading the whole Bible, which is what we're calling you and challenging you to do, right, is you're going to get to the book of Exodus, second book in the Bible, and you're going to run into instructions for building the tabernacle and establishing the priesthood. Right. And you just left Genesis, which is very easy to read yes. because it's like a book. Yes. That we're used to reading. It has uh, different, basically, chapters and stories. You see character development, and then you get to Exodus, and you're like, oh, there's a lot of instructions in here. There are a lot. It feels like a manual. And they're very specific. Very specific. And so you're going to read them all, and not just that. Then they get repeated. Mm -hmm. And so then you're thinking, I could probably just skip this part. I have done that. I read them already. I have done that. Right? <laughs> but what I want to show you is that there's actually a reason for mm -hmm. that. That's not just Bible monotony. It's not just that the Holy Spirit uh, forgot what he had already inspired <laughs> and needed to do it again. So here's the reason for it. The first time God gives those instructions for that specific work is in chapters 25 to 27 of Exodus. Mm -hmm. And there we read all about the construction and the purpose of the tabernacle and all its furnishings. But then we find all those details repeated again mm -hmm. in Exodus chapters 36 through 38, and they're repeated and the work is being carried out at that point. But in carrying out the work, every detail is being repeated. Why? Mm -hmm. Why do we need to read it again? Well, here's why. Because what separates the initial prescription and then the repeat of it is the infamous scene mm -hmm. with the Israelites falling into idolatry, worshiping a golden calf. That's how Moses finds them when he comes down the mountain from receiving the law from the Lord. And so there's a good cause for them being repeated. Mm -hmm. Israel needed to hear it all again. Right. Because it was given to them, but then they fell into sin mm -hmm. and they walked away from it. And that's actually... Such an act of grace of God. I was going to say the same thing. And I, and I love that God let us know that. Yes. After such a failure in mankind, right? Ultimate rebellion. They're worshiping a golden statue of a cow. That represents the nation they were just delivered, delivered from. from. While Moses is on the mountain, mountain getting the law, this ultimate form of grace from God, he, he shows us in complete perfection how they turned back to him and did everything as he asked. Yes. And that's hope. That's yes. our ability to look at that and say, well, they, in a big group, rebelled, fell, and were brought back in closeness with God. And then they just did what he said. Yeah. And it really can be that simple. Kind of like in the second episode where we took on the objection 
I don't have time to read the Bible. And Mm -hmm. we said, that's kind of like saying, I don't have time to repent. It's just not true. Yeah. Like God is so full of grace and so full of mercy that he always gives us time. And this is just an example of that time that he would uh, take the the intention Mm -hmm. to repeat Mm -hmm. everything about his instructions and not just mindless instructions, right? Building this tabernacle, establishing this priesthood, that wasn't just busy work for Israel. Absolutely. That was a way for them to be reconciled in relationship with a holy God prior to Christ coming and making the ultimate sacrifice. That's the ticket. And I think that's another wall. We get lost in this in in the book of Exodus with the list and it being then repeated so we feel like, oh, I could say I could shave some time off of this challenge by skipping this. But I think we also get lost in the 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 monotony of why do I need to know about the ark, the table, the lampstand, the specific um, instructions for the the length and the width and the height and the curtain and all of these pieces, these articles that con- that were a part of the construction of the tabernacle. And then when they disassembled it to move and wander, he repeats all of that again. Yes. But the significance of each article, which I think we're going to maybe unpack in the future. I think so, we definitely need to. So hold your seat on that. Keep it in your back pocket. The beauty of what God was actually constructing and allowed Israel to be a part of when you read the whole text, you see and you will see as you read the entire text and as you step into scripture and follow along this plan, you're going to see that this is one of many vehicles to which God used in his consistent attempt to be in fellowship with what he created. Right. And bring us right back to a garden relationship. Absolutely. And every theme, every piece of the tabernacle, even down to the, the, the east facing entrance. Yes. Echoes the very beginning that God created, what he created in the garden. Um, and it just foreshadows what he is doing even now in writing his history. Absolutely. It's really beautiful. It is. And that's a great lead into the next brick wall that we tend to hit, mm-hmm. which, like you mentioned already, comes in the book of Leviticus. Leviticus. So we come to Leviticus, and mm-hmm. now we're reading instructions about blood sacrifices mm-hmm. and offerings. We're reading stipulations about what is ritually clean and unclean, about feast and about festivals. But there's still a really great purpose for all of this. And and here's what it is. The book of Leviticus could be called the book of holiness. Sure. That's a good way to view it. And and that overarching theme of the book is laid out for us in Leviticus 19 too, where God says, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Mm-hmm. Now, it's God who makes us holy, right? We can't be holy on our own. And yet, once he's made atonement for our sins... Mm-hmm. What we then need to know is how do I live to abide in that holiness? Absolutely. I'm going to do something. I'm going to respond. Leviticus displays God's specific dedication, his own dedication in, in being so specific with his instructions. I see that as his way of communicating, I want this so bad. Yes. I want to be near you so bad. But this, there's a barrier between us. Yes. And eventually he says, you know what? I'm just going to remove the barrier. Right. And I'll be the ultimate pathway so that we can be together. But it's the same desire. It's the same communicated dedication that he has to see through what he created so he can be close and in fellowship, walking among it once again. Right. And look at the picture of Jesus in this because you have these rules about what's ritually clean and unclean. And 
and not necessarily sinful, right? Mm-hmm. Because if a woman a good point. is on her period, she is ritually unclean. That doesn't mean it's a sin for her to menstruate. But what Leviticus is communicating is that even if we don't sin, just the human condition absolutely is just unclean because we need to be redeemed. And so there are all these instructions about, oh, a woman's bleeding, don't touch her. But then what does Jesus do? That's right. He comes and he touches a bleeding woman mm-hmm. and imparts holiness and healing mm-hmm. and cleanness to her. So there's such a beauty in the book of Leviticus because what you're seeing is the problem really spelled out. Right. And when you see the depth of the problem, then the impact of the solution is Absolutely. so much bigger. Right. Because what what is profound about God giving these specific instructions, revealing his desire to have a solution to the depth of the problem, it goes to show, wow, thank you, God, that I do not live under this law, yeah. right? That I am free to come into your presence because you fulfilled every requirement that yeah. you set forth. You established it to be close to me. Yes. And then you fulfilled it because I couldn't. And now I get to come freely because you've made a way for me because yeah. that's your dedication. I have done nothing right yet. Like up until that point in history, there was nothing that mankind could do about just its state. Yeah. And God has continued to find vehicles to come into fellowship with, with the fallen man, uh, man that he has created. And it, Leviticus communicates that, I believe, in a very profound way that foreshadows his ultimate plan of Absolutely. redemption. Absolutely. So we're looking at this theme of holiness in the book. And how do we live once we've received this atonement for our sins in a holy way? Well, basically what Leviticus teaches us, it's by being different. And for us in our modern new covenant end of days context, it's not about not wearing clothing, clothing woven of two fabrics or not planting our fields with two kinds of seeds, but it is still the same principle that we find in the book of Leviticus. It's about thinking differently, acting differently, and loving differently than the world around us. And those things reflect the holiness of God. And when you look at Leviticus through those lens, you find new meaning in it. Absolutely. And just to lend to the objection of it being monotonous, it being too big, when it comes to Leviticus, not reading the whole thing, not seeing these um, characteristics of God, these desires and dedication of God, then I think you might miss out on what it could develop in you. Live differently, love differently, think differently, but be holy because I am holy, but set yourself the discipline. Um, Have a life that is disciplined to obedience uh, in response of what you see that God has done. Yeah, yeah. So that's Leviticus. So let's say you make it through the monotony of Exodus, all the repeated specifics, Mm -hmm. and then you make it through what seems to be monotony in Leviticus, all these instructions about sacrifices, clean, unclean, feasts, festivals. Right. Well, now you come to numbers. And now you're reading about the specific numbers of all the people in each of the 12 tribes of Israel that have come out of Egypt. And not only that, you're reading about how they're supposed to set up camp. And if there is a book that you could say, that that one, that one definitely doesn't have anything to do with me. Yeah. Right? Because that's about people, specifically numbered people. The context of that book literally has nothing to do with me. Right. It could be numbers. But 
but nothing about scripture is is segregated from you right. and what God has wanting to say to you. Right. Because now we come to this camp arrangement. Right. And maybe if if you enter the reading with the mindset of it's monotonous, it's pointless, you might miss this. But if instead you are looking for God's truth in it, then what you're going to find is that the actual formation, mm-hmm. the setup of this camp is centered around the worship of God Almighty. It's centered around this tabernacle, this mm-hmm. tent that is the dwelling place of God as he's accompanying Israel through their wilderness journey. And it's teaching us about priorities in life. Even physical locations. Yes. Right? So so God arranges this uh, camp, as you said, arranges it so that the tent is in the very center. And if we just zoom out and say, that has nothing to do with me, but I can pull this principle that the, the, the place of God in my life is the center and not just as a philosophy, but as a discipline, yes. a physical, everyday time frame, walk out my life. God is at the center of it. He's at the center of my words. He's at the center of my time. He's at the center of my worship. He's at the center of my finances. He's at the center of all of it. And it's not just a thought, but it's an action. It's a physical thing that we do. It looks a lot like reading the Bible from start to finish. It absolutely does. And Israel's time in the wilderness recorded through this whole book. Let's say you make it through the first the first two chapters and you've got the numbers and you've got the camp arrangement. Now you're on this wilderness journey. Well, Scripture says that Israel's time in the wilderness was to be a time of testing mm-hmm. to prepare them for entry into the promised land. Listen. That's the exact same thing that we who are followers of Christ are walking today. We are walking through the wilderness of this world, and it is a time of testing Mm -hmm. that's preparing us for our entry into a promised land where we are going to dwell reconciled with God forever. And so the test that they face will mirror the test that we face. Absolutely. Paul taught in the New Testament that those things were written down as a lesson to mm-hmm. us, mm-hmm. not for the sake of Israel having a history of all the mess ups they had in the wilderness, but so that we could learn a lesson from those things and we wouldn't fall prey to the same temptations mm-hmm. that they did. And to have uh, to have an idea of how God is going to react about it all that is great. That is very that good. That is great. We get to see through their tests the character of God and the ways in which he handles our failures and our victories when we win. Um, we get to see that through the leaders that we read all about through in Numbers, through the, the decisions and the reactions of God. We find a lot of his character and his nature written all through it. Yeah. So maybe you make it through all that. You make it through those monotonous pieces. Probably the number one answer to what's monotonous in the Bible across the board. Oh, yeah. People would say it's the begats. Yeah, the genealogies. Right. So we we call them the begats because if you've ever read the King James Version, it sounds like this. Abraham begat Isaac and Isaac begat Jacob and Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. Um, If you're reading a more modern version, like the New International Version, it'll say Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac was the father of Jacob, Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. So it's genealogies. That's what we're Mm -hmm. talking about. And often people get to the genealogies and they go, okay. Didn't Paul say not to get lost in genealogies? Yeah, this is definitely (laughs) not relevant. He definitely said that. I don't need to know their entire family tree. 
Right. Unless. Unless there's real significance in that too. So I mm-hmm. want to just look at a genealogy in scripture and I want to show you an example of where we find really powerful truth yeah. about the consistency of the promises of God. And we would miss it if we skipped the begats. Right. Okay. So we're going to go to the end of Second Kings. Mm-hmm. So the books of Second Kings and Second Chronicles describe the destruction of Jerusalem. So in a prior episode, when we were looking at the prophet Isaiah, I believe that's when we were taking on the excuse of, I don't have time to read it. Yes. And Isaiah was warning the kingdom of Judah about their coming destruction at the end or at the hand of the Babylonians. Mm-hmm. Their... Um, They still don't repent. They still don't turn away from their sins. They mock the prophet's teaching. They reject the Lord. And so Mm -hmm. that destruction comes. It's terrible. And it's recorded at the end of the books of 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles. So I want to just read you a short passage from the end of the book of 2 Kings. This is the very end of the last chapter of the book after Jerusalem has been destroyed the the temple and the city has been raised. Everything has been burned down. The people have been slaughtered and then some carried away into exile. Mm-hmm. But then it says this in Second Kings 25. I'm just going to read you the last few verses starting in 27. In the 37th year of the exile of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, in the year Awal Marduk became the king of Babylon, he released Jehoiachin, king of Judah, from prison. He did this on the 27th day of the 12th month. He spoke kindly to him and gave him a seat of honor higher than those of other kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiachin put aside his prison clothes and for the rest of his life ate regularly at the king's table. Day by day, the king gave Jehoiachin a regular allowance as long as he lived. So on the surface, This may seem like a really random peculiarity that... What a way to end the book. Right. We just talked about how this whole nation was destroyed. It was the judgment of God. It's been prophesied. And the people have been warned again and again, and they just wouldn't repent. And so this happens. But then there's this little piece where an enemy releases an imprisoned king decades Mm -hmm. into their exile and all of a sudden starts treating him with kindness. What is that even about? Well, the only way you would find out what that was about would be if you read the begats or the genealogies. And here's what it's about. It's about God is orchestrating Mm -hmm. everything to accomplish his very specific purpose, which is to reconcile all of us to himself through King Jesus. Right. So I want to skip forward with you to Matthew now in the New Testament, just a few verses out of the begats or the genealogy Mm. of Jesus. So this is Matthew chapter one. The book of Matthew starts with the entire genealogy of Jesus back to Abraham. Mm -hmm. Verses 10 and 11 say, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Ammon, Ammon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. What's the connection? Here it comes. Jeconiah is another name Mm -hmm. for Jehoiachin. Mm -hmm. So his preservation, that little random piece that we get at the end of 2 Kings about all of a sudden he's released from prison and he's treated kindly and he has a seat at the king's table. What that was telling us was that God was keeping his promise and preserving a remnant through this one king 
who should have been killed. And who wasn't a king very long. No. I mean, he was only a king for like, right, like three months. It was a very short reign. Yeah, yes, a before he was reign. exiled to Babylon. But what scripture is telling us there is that God didn't forget his promise. That's right. And his promise was this, that David, King David, would always have a descendant on the throne. And that promise holds true even today because of the preservation of Jehoiachin or Jeconiah, as he's referred to in the genealogy of Jesus, through his preservation comes Christ, our Messiah, Mm -hmm. our Savior, who now sits on the throne as king over everything, and the kingdom is preserved, and David still has a descendant on the throne. But we wouldn't Mm -hmm. know that connection if we didn't read the genealogy. If we just skipped over it, if we said, that's not applicable, that's boring, it's too big, I don't understand the point. I'm reading it just to read it. Uh, I think that um, one thing that it, it might be difficult to make that connection, right? Yeah. I, I don't know that the very first time I read the Bible all the way through, I even read all of the begats. Well, and especially it, it's, it's obscure because the name changes, right? right. Something you're going to run into in scripture is that when this exile takes place, sometimes people have a Hebrew name, sure, but then they're given a different Babylonian name. Absolutely. Like Daniel, who is also called Belshazzar. Mm-hmm. And I think as, as we step into scripture, right, as we use tools just like this, as we heed this challenge that we've put out every week to read your Bible from start to finish, you also have to, like we said in episode one, approach it with a humbled heart and a humbled mind to say, I'm going to have to investigate some of these. I need to use some tools. I need some resources to help me with that. And so my question would then be, what are you going to do the next time, hopefully today, when you open the Bible independently to read and you come to a place where you go, I don't think that applies to me. Or I don't see the point in reading this, so I'm going to just skim right over this. Yeah. Or I'm not under sure. I'm not really sure what this psalm is actually talking about. I'm never going to be hiding in a cave, so I'm just going to. I'm going to. I'm going to thumb right through that one. What are you going to do? So that coming to scripture with a plan, prepared to go against anything that stamps its way in front of you and the truths that God has for you is wisdom. And I think a good way, uh, some tools that I would say uh, would be a, when this comes out, when Step Into Scripture comes out in May of this year, 2023, pick up a copy, use that because a lot of that, like we said in another episode, a lot of that front legwork has been done for you. A lot of the ties and the themes and the movements are answered. What Tina talked with us about today, that very, all of these examples have come straight from this book, Step Into Scripture. Um, and so you can use that when you hit that wall to say, okay, I'm going to find this out. I'm going to follow this out. This has something to do with me because this is for me. This is God speaking to me about what he has already done. It's not about me, but it is for me. Next, I would encourage you to pray. Pray before you read. Pray while you're reading. Um, Pray when you're done reading that God would bring these things to life in your world. Many times when I pray that God would uh, give me direction and guidance and discernment in something, I will often ask him to please show it to me or speak it to me in a way that I would understand so that I would know no matter what that it was him who was answering my, my, my prayer and he never lets me down. It is always super specific to what I would understand. And I believe he would do that through his word 
and in our lives. And he would use those to give us those answers. And then I would encourage you to just read it anyway. If you feel like I'm just reading it just to check the box, like we said at the very beginning, read it anyway. Don't underestimate what our, don't underestimate what our very small effort can, can accomplish when God is at the helm of it. I mean, our life is a that living needs to testimony. be a whole episode sometime, <laughs> 100%. Our entire life, our, our testimonies have walked uh, alongside one another for many years. And yeah. that has been a theme, certainly true in our life. And I believe it is true uh, because of an open-ended commitment yeah. to reading God's word, um, even when it feels like I'm just reading it to read it. Yeah, absolutely. So I hope you will step up to this challenge absolutely. and step into scripture. Commit yourself to reading God's whole word. I hope you'll pick up a copy of this resource, this book, Step Into Scripture, that'll be coming out in May of this year. And we would love to step with you and continue this walk through lay aside the objections. It's not too hard for you. You do have time. It is relevant. It does have meaning in your life. Absolutely. And you will find that when you open up your Bible. So thanks for joining us and we look forward to being with you again soon. See ya.